Boyle Sport is a proud sponsor of Newcastle Fans TV and the Greenwood and Mullins show. And please sign up with Boyle Sports. If you bet £10 with Boyle Sports, you will get £20 in free bets. What are you waiting for? Sign up to Boyle Sports today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a takeover special of the Greenwood Never. and Mullins show. Never. Never. It didn't happen. It was all a dream. It never happened. If people have been living under a rock and support Newcastle, and I mean properly living under a rock, Newcastle United have been taken over, and some people are suggesting that Newcastle United are now the richest football club in the world. Let that sink in just a little bit. Newcastle United are the richest football club in the world, and Amanda mm. Staveley believes that Newcastle United could win the Premier League within the next 10 years. Surely not. Surely not. I mean, come on. We get it's Hamza Chowdhury on loan in January, isn't it? That's the best. Um, that's the only thing we can hope for. Surely. Well, that's what we were used to for sure. And the names that people are mentioning about becoming the next new manager or the next new signings are remarkable. And we needed to speak to somebody so that that sound that had a little bit of knowledge of what's going on. So there's nobody better, really, than the Newcastle United correspondent for The Athletic, and that is Chris Woff, who we've had on the show before, our first returning guest of the yep. Ruin and Mullins show, but for a very, very good reason. Yeah, the Woffmeister General, he's uh, he's back. Talking takeovers, transfer targets, managers, sporting directors. What, I mean, a revolution. It's, it's, it's like... We thought we all hope was gone, and now here we are. You've 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 you were outside St James's Thursday night, and it was doing? amazing. And it, no, I no, you know full well it wasn't. And for some of us have to work for a living. We all can't take months off on end. But <clears throat> and even if I did, I still have man flu. Which which the one thing that really annoys me about this is like when you have man flu and whatever, your voice is supposed to go a bit sexy. Mine hasn't. Um, but <laughs> the thing is that the scenes from St James's on th- last week were just absolutely immense. Oh god, and I cannot wait to go to go up this weekend and 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 go to the game for the first game post Mike Ashley. It's just been an absolute whirlwind of a week, hasn't it? So to try and um, get some sense of it all. There's no one better than Chris, is there? Yeah, people listening to this podcast will, will just be thinking, well, we've got Crystal Palace next week yeah, on Saturday, so you've already drove up to Newcastle, see us win, and take all three oh. points, and Steve Bruce is probably not manager. Or Steve Bruce is still in charge, we lost against Spurs, and we're still in the bottom three, and we have signed Hamza Chaudhry. Anything could I happen. don't want Hamza Chowdhury. Is that coming through clear enough? I never wanted no, Hamza no, no. Chowdhury. <laughs> it's just mental. I was at St. James's Park on Thursday and when the news broke, we did the live streaming, which you'd have seen on Newcastle fans TV. It was just weird, strange, but everybody was so ecstatic and delighted and buzzing and just, oh, it's just so many different emotions. But there was a moment the main lead were at the ground and Lee was filming. Uh, Lee was filming. I couldn't. He couldn't come on camera. He was in too much pain. Um, we were just on the steps next to the Sir Robson statue, 
and the, the noise, the chants, the drinking, the supporters just became one for that one night. It didn't matter what happened previously. It was just amazing to see everybody arm in arms with fellow Newcastle fans, probably people that they haven't even met before, but just so happy that this man has gone. Um, it's just absolutely incredible, incredible scenes. And I'm sure, hopefully, I'm sure hopefully now, Sam, we have that hope back and Newcastle can actually compete to maybe get into Europe one day. Who knows? Uh, I remember, like, obviously we had the season in Europe after the fifth place finish under Pardew, but before Ashley, obviously, we were in Europe pretty much every season for for, for a good long while, and European nights were so special at St. James's Park, and I've never been to one. Um, So it's always been a kind of secret little dream of mine. Um, and it's just, uh, to, I guarantee you 99% of people at St. James's on Thursday weren't there because we were the richest club in the world. They were there because it was a feeling of liberation from a horrendous dictatorship of an owner like Mike Ashley that, and, and getting rid of him. That was why everyone was there. Um, the money and and what we've got to look forward to now is kind of secondary, but it was just a, it was a case of liberation. And you can tell that through fans, even people at the club who work there, some fantastic people working at the club, but you see the club's social media output, um, the NUFC TV output. It's just, it feels like they have been, it's, it's like their Independence Day. It's been absolutely amazing and long may it continue because it's going to be, Fun again. Fun, exciting, amazing. Never take European games for granted anymore. If we ever get them back, believe it or not, it doesn't happen every year. And I can't, I can't wait. Could you imagine Champions League music at St James's Park once again? We've had interviews with. Okay. Listen, we've had interviews with Gabriel Clark, Peter Drury, in particular, and they said. There's nothing quite like a night at St. James's when it comes to Champions League football. One day it might happen. It's become a little bit more concrete that it could happen in the future. We're still a, couple of, a few years away from that, but at least we have a bit of... We can dream about it now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd take staying up this season still. Of course. Of course. But yeah, like it, it's slowly sinking in and you are looking at kind of ambitious targets that which you would have just felt silly. You still do feel a bit silly saying them now. Um, but it's nice to just have the idea of being able to compete again, isn't it? Of course. And I think we should get this podcast up and running because Chris Wolf has got some fantastic views on everything that's going on in Newcastle. And before this interview uh, starts that you can listen to, please listen to Pod in the Time and go to theathletic.com because Chris and George Corkin, who we've had on before, have done some fantastic in, uh, fantastic articles rather in regards to this takeover and Newcastle United as a whole with the legendary number nine, Alan Shearer. So this is episode number 64. Do you know who else has done some brilliant interviews with the legendary Alan Shearer? Can we start this interview, please? <laughs> Can we start um, this podcast? I can't um, have you going more than two Greenwood nil. Can't have it. Well, <laughs> facts, though, isn't it? 
This is episode number 64 of the Grieving and Wellness Show. It's a takeover special, and it's with Chris Woff. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Grieving and Wellness Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Well, what a week it has been in the history of Newcastle United. From one week, me and Sam were at Molyneux. Well, Chris would have been at Molyneux as well, I would have thought. Watching Newcastle get beat 2-1 and leaving that away and thinking, what's going to happen? What's going to happen next? And in the space of five days, oh my goodness. To tell us all sorts about this new takeover, it is the Athletics' Chris Swoff. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on, guys. Yes, it's been quite the whirlwind week. I wasn't actually at Molyneux. It was my brother's stag do, so I was in New York that day. I sent George down to Molyneux and he 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 was uh, when I when I texted him, uh, asking him how it went at full time. He just sent me some very naughty words back. So uh, that, that'll, t- that'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> very much well, so sad. Right? It, it was a miserable day, wasn't it? It was pissing down with rain. The football <laughs> was shite. And then me and you, Johnny, were outside Molyneux. And I don't normally like to uh, quote YouTube comments, but I'm going to now. Uh, apparently, I looked grumpy enough to punch a puppy. So it's 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 been a welcome change of pace. I mean, when did you first get wind, Chris, that this was going to happen finally? It was last Wednesday morning, um, and I was on a WhatsApp call with a French coach who coached on Saint Maximin for the under twenty ones, and uh, I was speaking my pigeon French to him. He was speaking slightly better English back to me. Um, but George kept trying to call me and it was like cutting out the WhatsApp call and I had to keep sort of rejecting him. And eventually he just sent us a message like, Chris, answer the phone, answer the effing phone. He's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, we are on red alert. And I thought he was taking the mic. I mean, I did manage to get off the call and then I tried calling him. He didn't answer. And he got back to me a couple of minutes later and he's like, I've just been across to um, Jesmond Dean House. It's, it's basically, it's happening at that point. We thought it was going to be half four that day. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's just yeah, absolutely bizarre. When you get that phone call and everything's, you, know, you said there, Chris, red alert, are you thinking, well, have I got everything ready? Are all the articles ready that are pre-prepared for this day all ready and ready to go? Or are you thinking, right, who can I tell? Who can I not tell? Is it excitement, nerves? What is it? It, it was excitement. It was, it was nerves. It was, it was sort of disbelief, which I suppose I still haven't quite got my head around it now because I've just been so busy ever since I haven't really had time to process it. But you've got to remember that this isn't just, for, for George in particular, this isn't just a sort of, it's just happened now. It isn't even just back to sort of April 2020. Before the Athletic launched in the UK, George, when he first came to me and said that this was happening and, and, and did I want to be the Newcastle United correspondent, said to me that this was possible, that Amanda Savory was still trying to buy the club, she's trying to find money, that they managed to get the Saudi finance a, a little bit later on. But then I remember Boxing Day 2019 when Newcastle played away at Man United. On that morning, uh, I went for a coffee with George and I, and at that point we were like, it's on red alert, this could this could come out at any point. And then it sort of quietened down a little bit, then the Wall Street Journal wrote the story the end of January, and then p- pretty much from April, Obviously, when the when the deal was was agreed between Ashley and and, and the consortium venture to price, it was then from then on it could have been at any point until obviously we, we know what happened and it delayed to list stage, and it because it had gone on for so long that because George in particular and and also I have these sort of connections with the people in the around it, you, you sort of have these conversations from time to time where like, oh it could happen or something might be changing, and you, you sort of after a while almost 
filtering it out because you're just like, well, we've heard we've heard this so many times. We've been here so many times. How many times can you put yourself on red alert? How many times can you can you try and have stuff ready and then have to rewrite it? And so there wasn't really anything prepared this time. We didn't have the, the stuff. We, we had it prepared from that moment on, and we were able to get stuff out which were ready to go in advance because we knew it was going to happen then. But not most of that stuff wasn't already written. We had an idea of what we might write, and we'd written pieces previously which never got published, which we could take little bits here and there from but no it was just very much we can't tell anyone other than we told a couple of people at, at, at the desk and at that point like on the, on the athletics editorial desk and even at that point it was like this is on a need to know basis we we didn't really know exactly what had changed at first thing on, on the wednesday morning we knew it had changed but we didn't the be in sports stuff came out afterwards um, and when that came out it started to make a little bit of sense as to exactly what has happened um, but yeah, it was just, it was, it, it, as a journalist, that's a sort of thrill that you have. I mean, it's also scary as well that you're just thinking, because you, you have, have we got this right? Because it, so many things have been wrong throughout the whole process in terms of this is seeming to be now. It's like, is this the right moment? And then when the deadline gets kicked back and then when it goes into Thursday, and even though, even though you're speaking to everyone and they're saying that it's right, until it actually gets confirmed, you're still just mm, not quite sure on this one just because of how long it's been going on. Four years since Amanda was in the stands against Liverpool to witness Hosselu score an absolute worldie. Um, maybe that it wasn't. Um, but what 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 tenacity and what I mean determination from from the consortium. I mean, all the noises they've made since the takeover has happened are, are so so positive. It just goes to show these guys are genuinely in it for the long haul and they care. Yeah, this is this has been more than four years in the making. Essentially, Amanda Staveley previously um, had tried to buy Liverpool, and that had been a few years' process. And then when that failed, and when they got sick of that not happening, they switched their attention to Newcastle United. And there were some people in and around her, some of her football advisors, who basically convinced her to go to that game against Liverpool. And I thought that if they got her there, then she would see that this is the club. And when she then has a determination to do something, she will pursue it through. Obviously, with Liverpool, it didn't happen. She didn't buy the club. But with Newcastle, it, it became there became this fixation with it. In the, in the original guys, the money wasn't coming from... Uh, it wasn't going to be 80% financed by the Saudi PF. The Rubens were involved. Some of their money would have been involved. But they couldn't get it through. They had three bids rejected in November 2017. Obviously, then there was the comment from a source close to Ashley in January 2018, which sort of almost dismissed her as a, as a time waster and, and, and all this sort of stuff. But she's kept going. She's been ridiculed by a lot of people. I have to be honest, I've doubted this for large parts throughout. I mean, I, I people in and around her have, have, have been adamant for the most part. There were a couple of points where they sort of wavered, but for the most part, the confidence remained. They said that this will happen. Once once the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund decides something's going to happen, it will happen. And because I just... The, the problem I had was I couldn't I couldn't necessarily see the direction that it was going to happen because it because the Premier League hadn't approved it because they were adamant uh, that the Saudi state were going to have to go through the the owners and directors test because of the fact that we had arbitration and we had cat obviously all these other things were going on behind the scenes and and and, and a lot of conversation we still we still don't really know exactly what happened we have an idea but we haven't we have we don't know exactly what happened and because of that lack of transparency it's made the whole thing very difficult but. Yes, the tenacity they've shown, that the, the, the just determination to get it through. I doubted them, and I think most people did doubt them at various different stages. But they've managed to make it happen. And and um, I know some people say, "Oh, running the club now is going to be the difficult part." But given what they've already gone through, and it will be a difficult part because they have a lot of rebuild to do. But given what they've already gone through, I think that 
there'll just be relief for first and foremost for them as, as well as there was for so many Newcastle fans to see the back of Nagashi. What do you think it took from Amanda Stavely to persuade PIF to get involved? And as a certain assurances that they that, that PIF needed before they put their money into something? Well, that took a bit of convincing um, because the as we I think we're going to find out with the way Newcastle United is going to be run that nothing happens particularly quickly um, with or at least nothing happens nothing rash happens as far as the Saudi PIF are concerned. Things are done in a very diligent ma- uh, manner. There's a very it's a very thought through process, and I, and I think that essentially there had to be a business case for this. So although Obviously, there's a football case and, 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 the, and the, the, the potential ramifications for Newcastle United in a football sense are, are very exciting. The Saudi Arabian PIF, for them to invest what is essentially £240 million in this, because obviously the other £60 million comes from, the, sorry, £250 million and then the rest of it comes from the others, into this, they needed to be convinced that they'll get their money back. And uh, the business case had to be presented. And, uh, and my understanding is that, that, that Stavely went with a very specific business plan to show that yes it would take a significant amount of investment to get Newcastle um, into a position whereby they'd be worth a lot more money but you have to remember that that, that they at least those in around Stavely claim that they're, the bid for Liverpool in twenty seven early 2017 was £1.5 billion. well if they've bought Newcastle United for around £300 million that's five times the value and obviously Liverpool have, have probably increased in value since then if you make Newcastle into regular title challengers, if you get them into the Champions League, if you increase commercial investment. I, 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 I feel so dirty. And the thought, and, and they may not ever get to that. I mean, it's not going to be an easy process, even with all the money they've got behind it. But that is that is the idea. And that, so the idea is that although you're going to have to put a lot of money into this, eventually Newcastle United, if you are successful and you do put the money in, you will get it back because they will be worth so much money. They will get will be guaranteed the, the money from Champions League every year. There'll be guaranteed commercial revenue. And therefore, for your business portfolio, which is worth anywhere between 350 and 700 billion, depending on what, where you look at, this is this is something which can increase that even further. And so that, that there was a there had to be a business case for, for the PAF to get involved. I also think selling them the idea of having a football club in terms of, I know there's the, the, the difference between the Saudi state and PIF, and we can debate all along, how much of a separation there is between them, but you just have to look at what Abu Dhabi have, have done with Man City, then Qatar with with PSG, Saudi Arabia haven't had that. Saudi Arabia haven't got that profile, and I think that that was another consideration. But I think the business case was the most important of all because if if it was that we're going to invest the best part of three hundred million pounds and then never see that money again, the sovereign wealth fund of Saudi Arabia wouldn't wouldn't have done that because that money is is intended to increase so that basically Saudi Arabia have a, a source of income going forward. Whilst we're talking about uh, investing money, um, transfer window is going to be a bit interesting from now on because where Newcastle will actually benefit from the tenure of Mike Ashley is that we've spent absolutely F all for the past few years. And now all of a sudden, you know, financial fair play wouldn't be as big of a deal as it would be were it another club for example but from a surely from a journalistic point of view it's at least made you delete the article that i assume was ready to go out for when we loaned hamza chowdhury at last <laughs> yes well well exactly i mean transfer windows haven't been particularly busy for me in, in, in recent years and, and suddenly that that's going to change um and yeah looking ahead to 
to sort of the, the January window and, and all of the noises had been that until arbitration, which obviously we found out was going to be scheduled for early January, until that happened, there really wasn't going to be much, if any, money at all to spend. Even loans were going to be a struggle under Mike Ashley. And, I mean, we saw Steve Bruce was frustrated after the summer because he only was able to get Joe Willock after a lot of persuading, but he wanted a centre-back and a defensive midfielder as well on top of that. And he didn't, he didn't get either of those because the money wasn't there. But suddenly we're looking ahead to January and you're thinking, well, what business will and can Newcastle do? Now, I don't think we're going to go and see Newcastle spend £100 million on a footballer in January. And I don't think that most fans actually want them to go and do that because if you just parachute a £100 million footballer into the Newcastle side, is that is that going to is that what they actually need right at this moment in time? They need to improve really across the board, and so I, and also a January window is not really conducive to totally restructuring a squad. So I think that we'll see a few signings, and I think that there will be in the tens of millions in terms of what Newcastle look to spend net. But I think a bigger rebuild is like more likely in the summer windows because it's better. First of all, you're giving yourself more time to really look ahead to that. They haven't got a head coach in place yet. They have not got a sporting director in place yet. So in terms of completely revamping the squad, you want people like that to make sensible decisions for the long term to help Newcastle progress. But I do think that they will make signings in January, that they're going to target certain areas. Centre-back, they need a centre-back. Left-back, I mean, obviously, Matt Ritchie's been playing as an out-and-out left-back, so ideally you would, you would need a left-back unless a new manager comes in and gives Jamal Lewis more of an opportunity, which may a lot of fans may want to see. I still think they're a bit short in midfield. And also, it would be nice to have a backup striker as well. So I think that Newcastle will spend money, but I don't... There is A lot of players are being linked already, and there'll be a shred of truth in a lot of them. But equally, in terms of there being a specific list of this is who Newcastle are going to sign in January, that list doesn't exist yet. First of all, given the pace of how all this came about, this time last week, or this time two weeks ago, the consortium didn't know that they were going to be taken over. So there's that, there's the issue with that. And then you also look at the, the, the other situations in terms of, well, who is going to be the head coach? So if you sign one player and it's a completely different head coach in terms of style, then they aren't going to necessarily fit into exactly what they want to do. So I think that there's a lot being written and a lot being said, and I understand exactly why, because people are excited, people want to know. But we are still very much at the start of this process, and I, I think substantive decisions just haven't been taken yet. You talk about a head coach or a director of football, sporting director of Newcastle United. The head coach at the minute is Steve Bruce. And as we speak at on Tuesday afternoon, Steve Bruce is still the head coach of Newcastle United Football Club. For how much longer? I don't know. I'm hoping you give me a couple of answers, Chris, to be honest. But first things first, do you expect Steve Bruce to be at the press conference on Friday? And secondly, if he does get replaced, do the owners have a name or a couple of names that they want to get in? And how quickly do you think that will happen? Well, the expectation we've had basically since the announcement was made that the takeover was completed was that Steve Bruce would not be in the dugout on Sunday, but we've reached Tuesday afternoon at 2.22 and he is still there. He's, t he's overseeing training for the last two days. So there remains a chance that maybe he could be in the dugout on Sunday. I personally find that uh, difficult to sort of square that circle because if, if, if you're going to launch the start of a new era, and yet we've seen that the, the more than 90% of supporters in various different surveys believe Steve Bruce should go and that a new man should be in charge. In the last each of the last five games, at least a section of Newcastle fans have chanted for Steve Bruce to be sacked. They've been booed off after every single game so far this season. So I think that it would make sense for him to be moved on before Sunday. And I think there are at least certain elements of the consortium who 
or advisors to the consortium who believe that as well. But as of yet, that hasn't that hasn't happened. And so there, I suppose that means that there is still a chance, A, be doing the press conference before the game and, and B, the game itself. Although I still personally can't can't compute how that will happen. We have to say at this stage, he hasn't he hasn't been dismissed yet. And I haven't had any information as to if and when he, he will be dismissed. I haven't been told it's going to be at this time. So we'll have to wait and see on that front. In terms of part and part of the reason behind that is to answer your second question, there is no name in terms of this is the guy they're going to target to, to, to be to be the next manager they are starting to, to build a bit of an idea but ideally what they wanted previously and if timelines had sort of converged together Rafa Benitez would have been the manager who would more than likely have come back he obviously there's close ties to Stavely and some of some of her advisors are very close to Benitez and, and her three initial bids for the club in 2017 were contingent on Rafa Benitez staying in, play, in position as manager. So there was hope when he was in China and then when he was out of a job that if the takeover had happened during the summer or early in the summer, early in the year, he would have been able to take over. He's now at Everton. He doesn't have a habit of breaking contracts, so I don't expect him to, to prove attainable and therefore they're having to, to work and look at, at different candidates. There's been various different names bandied about and I think again there's a shred of truth in terms of, of at least people putting their names forward or contact potentially being made but there are also three elements to, to this consortium and all of them are receiving different bits of advice. All of them have sort of submitted their own sort of ideas as to who they may want to see as head coach and then they're going to whittle it down from there. So there's there's been a long list which they're trying to whittle down to a short list if you want to to, to to see it like that. Some of the names who are out there, I do know that have at least been considered at various points. I can't say it, it, in terms of how likely any of them are and how, and how firm the interest is in some of them, but the likes of Eddie Howe, Lucien Favre, um, Frank Lampard, these sorts of people have at least been spoken about by some, if not all, members of the consortium. And so they are some of the names that are out there. But also the other names who have been listed, uh, Brendan Rogers, Graham Potter, all of them, they have certain admirers or they have been pushed in certain ways. But which direction they are going ahead in yet, I can't answer that question. I can't pretend to know who is going to be the next manager of Newcastle because I don't think they do yet. It, it is so surreal though, because like this time last week, and like I say again, when me and Johnny were stood outside, Molyneux, like the top three managers in the betting were like Graham Jones, failed at Luton, but obviously good coach still there now, uh, Chris Wilder and, and Eddie Howe, and now all of a sudden, like you say, Favre, Conte, Lampard. It, it's it's very very odd. It's a really odd feeling because we're used to like looking ahead. We're used to. Seeing who's available on loan in January, like I said, Chowdhury, but we can finally draw a line under. And then I keep like we would have all been asked at some point, so who do you really want Newcastle to sign? And it's taken me nearly a week to 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 say like, oh, it'd be great if we could get like Son from Spurs, wouldn't it? <laughs> like, which is just so stupid. When really we we should be looking at Chowdhury on loan again. Do they have a kind of shortlist for players in mind yet, or are they just? seeing if, if Callum Wilson's fit for Sunday. Well, first of all, th th what they're going to do is a, a sort of review, a top-down review of the club. There are some decisions they need to make in the short term. And I mean, you mentioned you, mean, you mentioned Graham Jones. If Steve Bruce is to be relieved of his duties before Sunday, I would expect Graham Jones to, to, to yeah. take interim charge. I think it's unlikely that a new man would be in place by Sunday or possibly by even the, the next weekend. This may be a process of, of a matter of weeks because they're almost going from a stand and start. And it's the same with players. There are players who they like and, and throughout the whole process there have been sort of 
call them if you want shadow Newcastle United transfer meetings, where essentially the the football advisors to the consortium and some some of the consortium themselves have sort of sat down and looked at if we were to take over the club for this window, which players might we like? And obviously that, that, that there have been various de- varying degrees of sort of intensity and volume of those conversations. So when the takeover looked like it was going to happen, uh, when it was first agreed, there was a lot of conversations. And some of the players, just randomly, who I'm going to mention, who, who came up a point who they may have been interested in at that stage, but obviously subsequently have, have gone elsewhere, were uh, Nathan Ake and Ferran Torres, who went to Man City. They were two players they sort of looked at. Um, those sorts of players, but but equally the, the the landscape is very different now. That was then that was a summer window that was um, before another full season of, of COVID having affected things, and obviously since then Newcastle have made additions anyway. And if you look ahead to January at the moment, Newcastle United have twenty five players in the squad. They have to either move players out or they're going to have to leave players out of the squad to be able to bring in players in January. So, I mean, Freddie Woodman's likely to go out on loan, so that frees up one space, but then. You have some players, some some aging players who've been given renewed contracts over the course of the last couple of years of the Mike Ashley era, and they are on good money, unlikely to get it elsewhere. So do, do, do you pay them up? Would they be willing to go out on loan? How can you get rid of some of those players in order to upgrade them? So there are going to be some difficult decisions to make. It's not going to be easy to sort of move all those players on. And in terms of players who may replace them in January, there are some names who, who, who at least they have they've considered or have been in the back of their mind and that they may look at. And I suppose James Tarkowski, who's out there, is one who would make sense in a lot of ways in terms of avail- potential availability. Last six months of his contract, Newcastle need a centre-back. He's got Premier League experience. But are they in a position where James Tarkowski is, is the top target for January? No, because they haven't even got a head coach in place yet. They haven't got the, the structure in place yet. They could get a head coach who comes in and says, well, I don't rate James Tarkowski. So you're not missing... So basically, it's a, we're all almost trying to run before we can walk, and I understand exactly why. But and I think a lot of people are struggling to believe that they that that, that, that not all of this was in place before they came in. But this didn't just come as a surprise to Newcastle fans. This came as a surprise to everyone involved in the deal that it happened so quickly when it did happen. And so the the building blocks which may have been in place had they been able to take over last summer, or even to an extent uh, a bit later on towards the winter sort of time last year weren't there this time because everyone was basically looking ahead to January and to arbitration and then whether they'd be able to take over after that. And so instead, they're almost playing catch-up. Do you think, Chris, that non-Newcastle fans have almost forgotten the fact that Mike Ashley has left this football club? Because it it seems that everyone's talking about the amount of wealth that PIF in particular have in regards to running this football club now. And we've got to remember, or the non-Newcastle fans are going to have to remember is that we've had 14 years of Mike Ashley and we did a list and it didn't even it couldn't even fit a screen almost of negative aspects of him running a football club well there it is on screen actually and we only just managed to get it in as you can see that's just like some of the stuff that fans mentioned when we spoke about the fact that Mike Ashley was very close to leaving the club was that the biggest thing to take from this takeover is that this man will not be running this football club anymore and Newcastle can have that hope, can move on and can get past, especially the last couple of years, this negative vibe around the whole area? Yeah, I think that's the biggest th- thing for me. I mean, I've covered uh, Newcastle on a professional basis since 2015 and through the whole of that time, Mike Ashley has been in charge of the club but that is less than half of, of Mike Ashley's or very about half of, of Mike Ashley's 
time as owner of Newcastle United, and and that's difficult to comprehend, and so and you, and you you struggle to to remember what life can be like at a football club without an owner who who is is he did it was like someone who was had their foot clamped down on the club and was sort of holding it back, and it was it felt disconnected, it felt so low, and. It, it was draining. I, I, I'm not going to lie. And I know I'm in a very privileged position. I love my job and I love covering Newcastle United. But over the course of the last couple of years, points of it have, have, have been really, really drained to even cover them. Now, I'm not trying to equate that to, to, to what a supporter goes through because I know that's that's far worse. And it, 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 but, but even as a reporter trying to cover it, it was so frustrating because it's the same narrative and the same mistakes over and over and over again. And it just, it was all negative. And it was very, it was very difficult to find the positives from it. And, the fact that they weren't even trying really to get better there was never there was never even the attempt to do so. If they'd made mistakes, but it was mistakes with the idea of getting better. Certainly in the second half of, of the Mike Ashley era, that that was never even the case. So you could you could argue that during the first few years he made mistakes, but he was trying to change things, and and you could maybe try and argue he was trying to at least progress the club in some sort of ways. But there was no there was no even. Uh, covert attempt to do that towards the end there wasn't even a pretense that they were trying to do that it was basically let's just I, i'm going to sell but i'm going to sell for the price that i want and we've just got to we've just got to limp along until we get to that stage and and so yeah i, I think that that some people have overlooked that and and i don't think it's fair that the characterization there have been of, of some newcastle fans in, in some quarters by by people externally i think nuance does have to be applied to this it, there is it is a controversial takeover and, and i don't think we should overlook any of that and i think that we should all look to educate ourselves about that not hide away from it go into this with our eyes wide open but i also don't think that this that um sort of looking down on people who celebrated mike ashley eventually leaving having made it a lot of them not wanting to go back to games or feeling that, that they had to boycott and not being go families to, like disagreeing in terms of who will go, who won't go. Um, I, I just think that is the, the biggest the single point I took away from this. Obviously, there is then the excitement of what potentially could happen. And then there are the very controversial elements of this, which we shouldn't overlook. But I think that that, that overriding, particularly the fact that it looked like it might happen 18 months ago and it didn't. And then I think people were so beaten down that they just couldn't see a life at Newcastle United beyond Mike Ashley. And that was even, as you as, as you both said before, we saw that after the Wolves game, when it, in one sense it felt almost as low as it had been. And then here we are a week and a half later talking about Mike Ashley being gone and the potentially exciting future for Newcastle United Football Club. Have you ever looked forward to covering a game more than you are to this Sunday? Because I, I, I'm, I'm coming up, I'm going to be there on Sunday. I can't remember the last time I've been so looking forward to going to a game for so so much for so long. Plastic fan, isn't he now? Glory support. Yeah, uh, I was there in the championship. Don't worry. <laughs> um, I don't think I don't think that I have. No, I mean there was a. I suppose the the sort of championship. Um, when they confirmed that the championship title, that was anticipation for that game because it was interesting and so. But that was in a very different way. I mean, there was no sort of. In this this one is so strange to sort of get your head around because you're going to see the team who are second bottom of the Premier League, who are winless all season, who have won seven of the last 37. And you're going with a sense of, of, of real anticipation and excitement about what could happen. And although Spurs have had a difficult start of the season, Spurs have also have some world-class players in their team. And so it should be difficult, but it's, it's going to be that sort of part, party atmosphere. There's going to be, the more flags are going to be back, which we're all going to be delighted about. So yeah, it's going to be yeah. a sellout. And 
it's that, that's why I sort of find it will be it will be incongruous for Steve Bruce to be in the dugout there. And I think I think to be fair, I think maybe he even he even realizes that. And and I think that that's why I'm finding it a little bit strange that we are at Tuesday and there is still the potential that maybe he could be there on Sunday equally. I mean, I understand was that, that the idea was that he was going to be moved on. But the longer this goes on, and, and given everything we've already seen in the whole takeover saga where nothing has ever been quite how it seems and, and you've thought things are going to happen and, and they don't end up happening, we can't rule out the possibility that he's going to be there on Sunday. And that will make it a very strange dynamic, I think, because you're going to have the sort of carnival atmosphere and then equally the overwhelming majority of supporters who seemingly don't want him to be there and, and if Newcastle were to fall behind what happens then to, to, to the crowd stay really positive or the Bruce out check what, what happens then and it just seems a strange it would seem a strange way to, st- to mark the start of a new era if he's still there I 100% agree with that 100% you talk about the celebrations and I was there on Thursday evening when obviously the news had just broken and we were outside the ground uh, a few of us from the channel and I've never seen anything like that. It was like we had won the FA Cup or the Premier League. It was ridiculous. And it was just the noise, the the colour, just everybody just smiling. It was just fantastic to see. Some of us had to work. (laughs) Hey, working and doing a little bit of TV on the the part-time as well. Multitask. (laughs) But it just showed a unity. And I like the tweet that Newcastle put out, Newcastle United. Um. If anything, Chris, what we've learned is that this fan base is incredible. It's absolutely unbelievable. And now it deserves something in the future. And you've mentioned more flags. It would just be great to get everybody on in the same, singing from the same hymn sheet and just moving on together as one, as one big fan, if you like. Yeah, and, and I think that it was such a shame that... that... So many. That's that's part of the the issue with the the, the Megashira. Beyond all of the, diff, the 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 crap football and the fact that that there was everything felt like it was being held back. It was the fact that, that fans stopped going or felt that they had to stop going and wouldn't return because he was there. And so and and then that affected the likes of War Flags. Who once Benitez went decided they they weren't going to be there as well. And you sort of eaten away at the at the heritage at the at things which have become. I know the War Flags have only been around. For four or five years, but equally that it become part of match. That's that, that was part of what it was. That was part of the experience, and the thought of that coming back is is an enticing one, and is one I'm very much looking forward to. I know this emergency display has taken a heck of a lot of hard work for them to get it done. They would, they would, they would usually have a lot more time going into one. So I'm fascinated to see exactly what they are going to do, but just the idea that 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 that, that Alan Shearer maybe back at the stadium from time to time, Kevin Keegan, all these other all the other things. And, and, and other people may look at it and, and, and see uh, externally as, as, as fans of other clubs and sort of see it as a sort of, why is that such an important point? But it's like, well, history and heritage does matter. And it does matter to a club like Newcastle who never win anything. Obviously, we're talking about them potentially win. Amanda Stavely saying they might win the Premier League in five to ten years. But this is a club which hasn't won anything at all since 69, hasn't won domestic trophy since 55. And so... Our his, our, the history does mean a heck of a lot to supporters and, and the, the heroes mean a heck of a lot to supporters and the way that they've been treated and the fact that they haven't felt welcome at the club, just to sort of then coming back, it feels like a sort of reconciliation. It feels it feels like this this is the start of, 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 of a reborn Newcastle United. And I know a lot of people 
elsewhere I find it difficult to get their heads around given that it's 80% financed by Saudi PAF. But I do think that there is nuance to this. I do think that you can be excited and enthused and happy about that and still have reservations about other elements of this deal and where the money's come from. Not, no Newcastle fan was able to choose what happened with this deal. I know an overwhelming majority, it is suggested in various polls, wanted it to happen. But no Newcastle fan actually got asked, do you want this to be the takeover? We, they didn't get to decide who was going to take over the club. There's even been the pledge scheme to try and get a little element of their own club because that's how uh, disaffected Newcastle fans were with Mike Ashley. And now let's just hope that, that it is sort of the start of a, of a more positive era going forward. Just finally, so why aren't more questions, do you think, being asked of the Premier League and why are they just being aimed at Newcastle fans? Because it seems every time like guys like us are, are asked to go on the TV or radio, the human rights question always comes up. I mean, why aren't they asking Richard Masters about that? Well, that's a very good question, yeah. And we haven't heard anything from the Premier League other than the statement that was released uh, last Thursday. And... I don't think any of this is satisfactory. The way that this has ended is is completely unsatisfactory. I mean, everyone's forgotten about it because because they're delighted that the takeover has, has, has finally happened or that it's just become a reality in that sense. But the, the the Wednesday before all of this happened, I was sat online, as, I'm, as I know thousands of Newcastle fans were, watching the cat case and reporting on that. And at that stage, um, there's various accusations being thrown to the Premier League. There was... Uh, claims from Mike Ashley's lawyer that the, 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 the buyers may have even walked away. And then obviously eight days later, they've actually taken over the, the club. And none of this feels satisfied. The cat case has now been withdrawn by Mike Ashley. Uh, there's going to be no cl uh, claims in terms of the costs from either side. Arbitrations being dropped. All of it just feels, why is there being a backdoor deal? Why have we still not had the transparency of exactly what's happened? How? What, what are these assurances that the Premier League now have that they didn't have 18 months ago that the Saudi state and PIF are materially different. And how are they going? How are they going to police that going forward? What? What? How? At what stage does it become? Oh no, that the Saudi state have encroached too much on that. And then, I, I think the Premier League have some a lot of questions to answer. I think the whole process has a lot of questions to answer, and I think that we still need answers to those questions. I understand why the narrative has has, has moved on and we've gone beyond that, but. Other clubs could go through this. Newcastle United could go through this again if the if the the owners decided they wanted to sell at some stage. None of it feels satisfactory to me. None of it feels like uh, it, it almost feels like that last months has been a charade. If we were able to get this stage now, then why why was there a cat case? Why is there been arbitration? What has been going on? Why is there been government involvement? What what was said? Who was said? How did we eventually get to this stage? And it's just yeah, I think that there are some serious serious questions still to be answered. There always there always will be questions to be answered when it comes to Newcastle United. That's just what happens, and it will have more questions on Sunday when we play Spurs, and hopefully we can start this new era with a win and get three points, the first three points on the board, the first one of the season. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Anyway, Sam, where can we get this podcast? Where can everybody get this podcast? Everywhere, and of course, if you're listening to this on the podcast that's out next Tuesday, you would have already known we've beaten Spurs 2-0 and Son heung Min's <laughs> due to arrive at Tyneside in January. So, uh, happy days. <laughs> Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And again, I'm sure you're absolutely delighted that you'll never have to write anything over a, about a takeover for at least a few years anyway. Yeah, I think we should ban that word. I think it's just, no, I, I, I've written it too many times. And oh, I never want to hear the word imminently ever again. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, hopefully Newcastle can imminently get their first win. And that would be great. Oh.
that will be very nice. I mean, yeah, that's that's the, we have to remember they are still second bottom of the Premier League, and the priority yeah. for the minute has to be get out of that position and get themselves safe. Don't worry, we're staying up with the FA Cup, Champions League, and Premier League in the next ten years. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Again, a big thanks to Chris well, from the Athletic, and please look. I'll give a read to articles that Chris and George Culkin have done with the likes of Alan Shearer. That can't be missed, can't be missed with The Athletic. So for myself, Sam Milner and The Athletic's Chris Woff, we'll see you all very soon.